Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad. It's really nice to be with you today. I just wrapped up. I looked at the calendar of what is basically been an eight-month travel schedule. So I've been basically on the move, not staying anywhere more than a few weeks over the last eight months. There were a number of different projects that I had around the world, so I wanted to make sure that I could do all of that without crisscrossing too much, so it just made sense to add in a bunch of travels along the way as well. And my focus has really been on getting and capturing a couple of different events and a couple of different things on video to share with you, but I had a couple of other sort of big projects in there as well, and you'll be seeing the results of that in the next couple of months now that I'm in one place, at least for the time being, sort of get all this work done. The nice thing is as well, hopefully next time there will be a live video version. That's like I mentioned in the first episode, that's not going to be something that's a regular occurrence. But uh, now that I've got a good studio set up so I can just kind of work on that uh, once I'm a little bit more settled. So you'll get a video version at least the next episode and recapping why there wasn't a live episode last week. I'll get into that at the top of this episode, but I just wanted to go over a couple of things. Uh, to lay out what we've got, what I'm going to be talking about today. So the first thing is, if you've been flying over the last week or the last week and a half, you may have noticed that your flight times have been significantly different, especially if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. So if you've been flying in the Northern Hemisphere, especially if you're going from US to Europe or flying from Asia back to Europe or Europe to the United States, Canada, you know, that direction, you've probably noticed a significant difference in your flight times and going one way, it's been a lot better for some of you and going the other way, it's not been quite as good, but uh, I just wanted to let you know why that might be. Second thing I want to get into is a Pakistan recap. I just, there's so much of that trip that I want to share and the reaction and the response online has just been fantastic. And I'm just barely touched on Pakistan, at least on, on YouTube, and it's not even hit my site yet. I'm just digesting a lot of the footage and everything that I got. But I just wanted to do a little bit of a recap because it's some place that it's a travel destination that I really, really think more people should go to. Then the last two things I want to talk about is some India travel tips. I recently <laughs> talked to somebody who basically wanted the uh, TLDR facts, uh, frequently asked questions about India while I was there. So I gave them the rundown. I figured I'd share that with you as well. And finally, I want to talk about the best city to travel, sorry, the best city to visit travel tournament, which is beginning unofficially next week. If you are not subscribed to my newsletter, be sure you're subscribed because we've got prizes. I'm going to do the contest a little bit differently this year. And it's really basically the way you're going to send me somewhere this year. And there's cash, flights, you know, prizes for you as well for participating. And just the only thing you have to do is tell me your favorite city. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about those wins. So I basically took a flight back from New Delhi to Istanbul. So I just took that flight and it took almost two hours longer than it has ever in the past. So then the regular time. And if you flew from uh, the United States to London, for example, recently, you may have noticed that it just broke the world record. So that flight was done for the first time in less than five hours. And the reason of this, the reason for this is because there's been a lot of storm activity and that storm activity has been sort of moving from uh, west to east around the northern hemisphere. And you may have caught this uh, sort of wind wave. 
which is allowing you to get places a lot faster. If you're going from west to east, if you're going from west, if you're going from east to west, then your flight times are a lot slower because you're going against the wind. So the latest, uh, this record that was broken from London, I'm sorry, from, uh, let's see, from, where was this? From New York to London. So the previous record was five hours and 13 minutes. And last week, that record was broken and it was the first time under five hours that flight took place over four hours and 56 minutes beating the 2018 record which was a Norwegian flight which was five hours and 13 minutes and these kind of speed records do happen occasionally and especially in the winter as this article from NPR notes quote uh, it's the first time we've seen it below five hours this particular speed hasn't happened before but those increased speeds across the Atlantic happen on a fairly regular basis especially in the winter when the jet stream kind of dips down into where the North Atlantic tracks are and are a bit stronger. So you get more of a jet stream, you get more wind, and, you know, you don't think about that a lot, but, uh, you know, when you're flying, the plane is really flying with the wind. And it says these severe storms around the UK have been causing a lot of flight delays, cancellations, and diversions, but the wind conditions made for very fast eastbound flights, a few of which on Sunday crossed the Atlantic under the five-hour mark. Quote, the New York to London route has been historically used as a speed benchmark for transatlantic travel. And, uh, of course, the British Airways says, you know, quote, we prioritize safety over speed records, but our highly trained pilots made the most of the conditions to get customers back to London well ahead of time. And this article also notes that these flights were going more than 150 miles an hour faster than they normally would. So it added 150 miles an hour to the speed and uh, that helped break the record. So the plane, basically this article points out that the planes are not actually moving faster. What's happening is the air around them is moving faster. So they're not like cranking the engines up or cranking the engines down. They're not actually going relative to the wind around them. They're not actually going 800, 900 miles an hour. What's happening is the wind around them is moving. So now this is sort of a, you know, kind of a relativity, relativity thing. So to an observer on the ground, the plane is moving 150 miles an hour faster. According to the plane, it's still moving, you know, five, 600 miles an hour, but the wind around it, the environment around it is also moving a lot faster. So it depends on your perspective just a little bit, but the end result is you're going to get a lot faster of a flight now coming back so coming from west east as this storm moves around the world and as the jet stream kind of follows sort of this center of storm activity as it moves around the world it's going to slow down flights if you're going from west east and this will probably all die down right about now or this weekend you probably won't be noticing that anytime soon but if you did catch that if you did notice that you got you know to london or or if you got to Europe a lot faster, that's the reason why. And all this talk about winds sort of brought up something that we talked about, that I talked about in the last episode of the podcast, which is climate change and flying and the effect that has on the environment. But I came across this, I think I originally came across it on Mental Floss, but I'm seeing it now on CNN Travel. So it basically says that 2% of all scheduled flights cause as much as 60% of all the environmental damage done by planes so it's all about contrails so 
So this article goes in to say that it's all about the white streaks coming out of the planes you see in the back, and that's a type of ice formed by an aircraft as water vapor condenses around small dust particles, the vapor with sufficient energy to freeze. And it says these cloud-like formations have a strong cooling effect acting to reflect the sun that would otherwise heat the earth. Contrails can also block outgoing heat escaping from the earth, essentially acting like a blanket trapping in the heat on earth. Now, in November 2019, so last year, a group of MIT scientists concluded contrails accounted for 14% of climate and air quality damages per unit aviation fuel burn. So we know that flying, like anything that has an exhaust, basically any combustion engine is going to create climate change because of all the exhaust that's coming out. But this article came up with something very interesting. So it says they've used computer simulations to come to a conclusion that they tested what would happen if an aircraft would fly higher or lower than the current flight paths. And it says diverging from the flight path does lead to an increase in fuel consumption, but researchers say that's less than a 0.1% rise. And the subsequent, subsequent depletion in contrails offsets the extra CO2 released. So I'm just looking for this... this uh, so I just went to, what is this, uh, science alert. So they've got a little bit more information. And it says getting planes to fly about 2,000 feet, 610 meters lower, could cut the climate impact of contrails by 60%. Even better, only around 2% of the flights around the world would need to make the adjustment. Those flights where contrails are most likely to form and linger around, which is basically in the late afternoon, that's when you're going to get more contrails, and usually in the winter. So... During the colder months, that's when you're going to get more contrails later in the afternoon. And it says that if they uh, adjusted the altitude of those flights, it could really reduce the impact of climate change. That might be uh, a way to sort of not solve the problem, but also to kind of mitigate it to some extent, at least, um, you know, for the time being. I thought that was really interesting. And uh, speaking of, I, I, I cut this uh, podcast with Elon Musk. They were asking him about electric planes. And his response was very interesting. Basically, he said that Tesla is, you know, or SpaceX or any of his companies or any new companies that he would create wouldn't be working on electric planes. He said it's possible to do any kind of transportation. It's possible to go electric. But he and all of his projects, there's only so much time and there are only so many high-level engineers that can tackle those kind of problems and Flying is not something that 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 he's interested in doing, and he's he's basically saying, you know, I've got enough on my plate to do, and I, there aren't enough engineers to go around. This is really the bottleneck for at least all of his projects, so that's not happening. But I thought it was kind of interesting, um, and I haven't heard much about electric planes at all, to be honest. So uh, I'll link to that podcast down below if you're kind of a Elon Musk, if you're if you're interested in that. So an interesting podcast talks a lot about transportation, obviously not just flying, but of course electric cars, his thought processes, and where he thinks things are going to go 10, 20 years into the future. So that's basically flying for now. So if you are flying, that means you're going somewhere. And there's probably a country on your travel list that's not on your travel list, uh, which is Pakistan. Really wanted to talk about that. I don't, I didn't really get, in, I haven't really gotten into it because I've been moving around so much. Got a ton of videos coming up about Pakistan, but I wanted to give you the first look at my experience there 
after spending weeks in the country. So Pakistan, let's talk about this destination, which I think definitely has a bad reputation. I'm, I'm going to say it has a bad reputation. You, you're most people are either going to be thinking about safety concerns. A lot of other people are going to be thinking it's underdeveloped, and they're going to think that it's a difficult place to travel. If you're female, you might be thinking uh, that it's even more difficult to travel. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why you maybe wouldn't want to go to Pakistan, at least at the you know the first notion of it. So I'm going to look up the tourism figures here for how many people actually visit visit the country. So uh, let's see. It is ranked 47th out of 200 countries. And according to this article here, it says 1.75 million visited Pakistan in 2017, according to the Pakistani Tourism Department. If you think about that, that's a, that's a pretty low number of tourists. So uh, in 2010, uh, Lonely Planet termed it as being the next big thing. But now that it's 2020, I still don't think it's the next big thing. I mean, in terms of people actually going, um, the videos that I've made so far have gotten a very good response. I do know a couple of vloggers who've also been there recently, and those videos have gotten a great response. The people going around, because I have to say this, so if you want a place where you feel like you're the first traveler to ever visit, that's really has been my experience in Pakistan. Uh, it's kind of doesn't have all the major, kind of the, the crappy parts of tourism, because there's not... You know, there are not that many, like, there's not really scams or or kind of overpriced stuff. I mean, there's just not enough of a tourism infrastructure infrastructure for people to actually make it like that. So, I mean, you know, when you have a lot of tourism, then scams are going to evolve around that. Usually prices are going to go up because it, 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 makes, it, it makes sense because there's just that many people coming into the country with Pakistan. You don't have that. There's not that many people going there. So it really does feel like you're just arriving and you are in, you are just, people will, like like I mentioned before in the earlier podcasts, people will pay for your drinks. They'll pay for your meal. Everybody will come up and talk to you. I mean, especially when I had my camera with the microphone out and I'm, I'm vlogging, people really did come up to me and they had so much to say. So I can't wait to share those videos. Uh, getting around inside the country is pretty easy, so flights fairly easy. Uh, you know, not not difficult, not expensive. Um, I also took a bus. I gotta talk about this Pakistani bus. So I took a bus from Islamabad to Lahore, and you know, I used to think back in the day. I would say like 15 years ago, Turkish buses were pretty sweet. I mean, you you'd get meals, you'd have internet, you'd have all this like legroom seats you know nice seats but man the the pakistani so there's a couple of different versions there's like a first class and a luxury class they name them all these funny names but basically if you pay just a little bit more and by a little bit more i mean these are still very 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 cheap tickets i don't remember the price offhand but you get this like massive like almost like i don't know like couch kind of seat i mean it's like the hugest seat and in front of you you've got a I want to say like a 14 inch like touchscreen with movies and TV shows. I mean, worldwide movies and TV shows, music, you can see where you are. So it's got Google maps can show you where you are, time to destination, 
they bring you drinks, you do get food, you've got Wi-Fi on the bus, and the seat, like you can recline it all the way back. And even if you recline your seat all the way back, you're not going to be in somebody's face behind you. There's so much space. I mean, people were reclining well back. I mean, but the, the seat, I mean, there had to be like a meter and a half between me and the other seat ahead of me. It was just a really comfortable experience. There's, you know, you get one rest stop and the rest stop was okay, but it was just super comfortable. I I, I was so impressed that it's ruined all other kinds of buses for me around the world. Like if you're going to take a bus, it should really be a Pakistani bus. So that's also a great thing about getting around in the country. You may have seen my recent video on YouTube about uh, how much, what $35 gets you in Islamabad. And uh, I show one of the hotels I stayed at. It wasn't you know, sponsored or anything. I just wanted to give you a look. And that hotel came with a really nice breakfast in the morning. It was in a very good location. The staff were extremely friendly. The room was very big. It was clean. Had a desk, even though my legs didn't fit under the desk. I improvised, you know, it's not and not everybody's working from their hotel room, but you got this really nice hotel and that's 35 bucks. And what I found interesting in Pakistan, which you don't see in a lot of that part of the world, is that basically there's a middle tier of stuff. And what I mean by that is, so, you know, to contrast it with India, uh, basically in, in, in New Delhi, for example, so I was just in New Delhi, um, there's no middle tier of hotel. There's really, really expensive hotel, like luxury, five-star, all of that. And then there's like ultra budget. There's nothing really in between, which can make it difficult. So if you want to get something that's moderately priced, there's not much. You're basically going to be staying in a place that's very budget, very basic, maybe not up to the usual standards that you might want in a hotel room. Or you're going to be paying for a very expensive hotel. And even those luxury five-star hotels are going to have the luxury five-star price, but they're not going to be the greatest hotels. Like Things are going to be just a little off. Uh, but in Pakistan and in Nepal, I'll say mid-range hotels were great. So you actually have mid-range hotel options, which is really nice. So if you don't want to spend a whole bunch of money and get something that's super luxury and that's you know in an isolated part of town or whatever, you can be right in the middle of things. And get something that's really decent. So uh, that's up on YouTube if you want to check that out. Um, in terms of mid-range hotels in Pakistan, what that was like. Uh, food was great, very spicy. They could probably eat more vegetables. I mean, it's a very meat-heavy diet. So if you're vegetarian, it's uh, Pakistan is not the easiest place to travel, but you should be able to find some things. But they just that is a meat-loving meat-loving cuisine. So there's just a lot of beef and lamb and chicken and almost everything. So it's a little bit of a struggle if you're vegetarian. The food is very good. It's very spicy. It's very flavorful. Um, generally pretty clean at most places. So I went down to a place called Burns Road in Karachi, which is kind of the old, like an old street food part of town. It's It's very interesting. And I was eating a whole bunch of stuff just off the street and everywhere and uh probably wasn't the the best idea now looking back at it like in terms of you know i was i was i had that little bit of arrogance and that little bit of travel arrogance which is before i went to pakistan thinking oh, i know what this is going to be like and then realizing oh no i was totally wrong like this country is not what i expected at all you see a lot more 
I mean, you see a lot more women than I was expecting working at the hotel. So working at staff. So, you know, I went to go get a phone, you know, sort of internet connectivity, a lot of female staff, just kind of stuff that I didn't expect, to be honest. I mean, maybe that's my ignorance. But again, contrasting it to India, where you don't generally find uh, female employees working in hotels or in shops, uh, you know, you don't see that as much. So I was surprised about that in Pakistan. I was surprised at how modern it is. And I was surprised at how really kind of, uh, I don't want to say it was liberal, but it was definitely not as conservative as I was expecting. Um, people were very friendly, very curious. Uh, overall, an excellent experience. To travel there. Uh, if I go back, I definitely want to go more into the mountains. I only got a taste of that. So I have a little video from the mountains in the northern region of Pakistan. It was a little bit too cold to go at this point. So it wouldn't, wouldn't be very easy to travel up there now. But it's definitely something I want to do um, on my next visit. And it's definitely a place that I want to visit again. I would place it if you're so if, if there's a couple of you listening, I'm sure there's different groups, right? So there's like adventure people people who want to check out something that's a little bit exotic, you know, have maybe some travel experience or maybe just, you know, open to new experiences, I definitely think you should put Pakistan on your list. If you're in that crowd, adventure type, you know, that's the place to go. So if you, if again, contrasting with India, which I'm thinking about doing a video of contrasting the two, because I kept comparing them both, you know, in, I've been to India 20 times, and Pakistan, obviously, right next door, obviously, a lot of politics and history, but I did compare them a lot. So I've been thinking about, you know, maybe do a comparison video of, between the two, uh, which I'm sure would not be controversial at all. But to compare both of the countries, so if you're going to, if you're the type, if you're like, I would be interested to go to India, I think Pakistan, definitely you could do, um, definitely easier to get around, not as crowded, Um you know, and there's plenty of to see there. There's plenty of natural beauty. There's plenty of good food. Is, the country is very, very diverse. And the way, you know, it's a long country. So it's it, from north to south, it's a very long country. It's very large too, I mean, physically. When you have that kind of uh, country that's got coasts, it's got mountains, you've got a very diverse landscape, which means you get diverse cuisine, diverse people, diverse natural beauty as well. So you get all of that. Um, I think it's definitely great to go. Now, if you're the type of person that's more, you know, that um, is more hesitant to go to somewhere like that, if you're not really somewhere, you know, somebody who would go to somewhere as exotic, I think I, you probably wouldn't go to Pakistan. But to be honest with you, in a lot of ways, com you know, comparing it to a lot of countries I've been that kind of are on that sort of exotic, you know, destination, I think Pakistan would be fine. You'd be surprised at how good the infrastructure is, how easy it is to get around, you know, how friendly people are and so on. Uh, yeah, if if you are looking for a place to visit this year and you're looking for somewhere that's a little bit different, got a lot of videos on where you can go in the country because it is really does differ a lot from Islamabad to Lahore to Karachi, just... There's a lot of, there's a lot. But, uh, you know, if you're looking 2020 for a new exotic destination, I think you should take a close look at Pakistan. And 
so now hopping over to India from Pakistan, which I did not do because you can't really get there directly, which is why I spent some time in Nepal. I'm going to skip over Nepal this time and just go directly into India because I had an experience so, sort of where I met um, I met somebody who was joining uh, a tour, uh, a friend's tour there, and uh, they had a lot of questions for me, so I met them. I was just, you know, somebody who had been there before, but a long time ago. And I thought it was just a really good, you know, thing to recap for, you know, if you're going to India, things to know. A couple of things. The first thing they asked me, um, you know, about crime and safety. That's obviously a very local thing. You want to ask your hotel about that. But in terms of the things that you really have to watch out for, it's traffic. So, you know, the number one thing you've got to watch out for is cars, rickshaws, bikes, people. You've got to really take care to be aware of your surroundings. You know, usually the drivers, they're not super aggressive, but, and they're pretty aware of things going on around them. But if you're walking around the street and you don't want to get hit by like a vehicle, that's the number one concern that that's pretty much all of India's cities. You got to be, you know, you got to turn up your awareness level to like 10 when you are out and about and you've got bags and if you've got a camera, you got to watch all that stuff because you want to drop it, bang it into stuff. Make sure you don't get pickpocketed, but not get hit by a car. Throw into the mix then. You've also got to look down and make sure that you're not stepping in some kind of like poop. So cow poop, dog poop, pig poop. Uh, What other animals am I missing? Monkeys. Yeah, stay away from the monkeys. Monkeys are like little just, they're like the criminals of the animal kingdom. I don't know. Um, Yeah, so you got to watch out for that potholes, uh, just the street in general. And then people there do, uh, a lot of them do chew betel nut and betel nut is kind of like a tobacco based, sort of like a tobacco chew and it's got a red color to it. And and if you chew it, you know, like if you've got chewing tobacco, you'll spit it out. It has this really strong red dye and they don't do it intentionally, but the spit goes far and you've got to watch, watch where the spit is going. You don't want to get your shoes Otherwise, that stuff is not coming out. Also, it's just not nice. So that was one of the first questions. Um, the second thing is uh, water. Don't drink the water. That's a no-no. Uh, hey, that's in Faucet Safe as well, which is my app, which tells you where you can and you can't drink the water. So you don't drink the water. And then bargaining, that was the next question, I think. I was thinking about what was the questions they asked me. Yeah, bargaining. And bargaining really... And I mean, this is India specific because I think everywhere in the world it's a little bit different. But basically, there's no set figure. So there's no like they're just going to mark it up 30% because you're foreign. There's nothing like that. In a lot of ways, you know, people are going to look you up and down and kind of calculate the kind of money that you have. So if you look like you are wealthy, then, you know, they're going to jack up the prices more. They look like you're eager to buy or eager to spend you know, the prices are going to change based on that. Um, but I basically told them, so if you're going to get something that's, you know, the difference between 350 and 400 rupees is well under a dollar. So there's only so much bargaining you can do at those low prices. Um, for me personally, you know, the things they got to know is like, you know, the rickshaw price, you, you know, you'll know, Really, once you know the, what the price is, there's like no chill there. So like if somebody's trying to really rip you off, the price is going to be like three or four times as high as it should be. 
if you're talking about just like a few rupees here and there, honestly, it's probably not going to be really a big deal. And as you get more comfortable with the, the prices on the lower end, you can go ahead and, and start bargaining more and all the like staples like water are going to have the price written on it. So those are set by the government. Um, but if you're spending something, if you're going to buy something bigger, like gifts or I, I don't know, um, clothing or something like that, something that's going to cost a lot more then you, you definitely want to bargain more. Um, and the reason, so the reason I'm just recapping all of this stuff is because those were the questions I was first asked, uh, eating street food, Oh man, that's a tricky one. I've done it. You know, I've eaten a lot of street food in India and it's sort of hit or miss. Um, you know, it's 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 hit or miss. You know, if you see a place that's crowded and the food is like freshly cooked and it's super hot, you'd probably be okay. But honestly, I would just avoid it and just go to the recommended restaurants. You know, I've got some on my on my site. If you want to know like the the places to eat that are going to use filtered water, those are the places where you want to eat. So those kind of restaurants will use filtered water to cook everything. They're going to use filtered water for tea, coffee. They're never going to use untreated tap water to make any of the food. That's not the case everywhere. So uh, you want to make sure that you go to a place that's using filtered water across the board for cleaning the dishes and so on. Um, so that was sort of the, the, the TL, too long, DR, didn't read recap on traveling in India. So there's just some of the things that you, you really got to worry about. And I realize now that I'm back, really, now that I've left India, it's like how much crazy amount of awareness that you have to have, like just going out just to get a bottle of water in the street. It's like, you've got to jack your senses up to like 15. You're hearing, you've got to, you know, there's horns and there's there's people talking, people might come up to you there's sounds, there's lights, and then you've got your, you know, your sort of visual overload of just animals coming around. We actually got into a car accident, not a car accident, but it wasn't like a little, it was just like a little, not a scooter, but like a little golf cart type thing. Hit a cow. Uh, I didn't hit the cow. I was not driving. Um, I hit a cow in Bundi early in the morning. The driver hit the cow. And I'll tell you something. There was four of us in that little, um, you know, that little golf cart and the cow did not move. So the entire, all the energy from that impact went right into all of us and into the golf cart. And uh, it was any, if any faster, it would have all flown off. It would have been a lot worse. But um, yeah, so there was that. And there was one night in, oh, I don't remember where it was. Where was it? it Might have also been in Bundi where there was like a, a cow, like a male cow i guess it's called a bull that was just not in a good mood and as we walked by that thing just swung its horn up and again a little bit closer or not and that would have been really 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 bad i always give those cows like kind of a wide berth because you know i'd say like 20 times one time out of 20 you're gonna they're just you can't read them. Like the moods can change very quickly. And when they're aggressive, though, they are just wanting to headbutt stuff. So anyway, so you got to be aware of all of that stuff. And then, uh, you know, when you get back to your hotel or wherever you're going and you can sit for a second, it's just so nice to go, ah, you know, the, the smells will die down a little bit. You don't have as much of the, I mean, there's still, the air is still polluted and you just get down, you can relax. Um, 
So it's kind of a good experience just to enjoy or just see what that's like to have all your senses kicked up like that. Um, so I'm noticing as I went for a run today and trying to open up my lungs again, and it was like, oh, I don't have, I was just running in a park and you know, I didn't have to watch out for as much stuff. I really have to like, I feel like I'm still overly sensitive now. I'm still like hyper aware when I'm outside and I should, I should probably turn that down a little bit. If you've ever been to India, you know what that's like. It's, it's an, it's an endearing thing. It's an exhausting thing when you're there, but it is part of, of the experience. Um, so those are some of my basic like travel tips, really what really just like hitting stuff and watch out for the cows. And if you see a monkey, don't feed the monkey and don't show food to the monkey. They're just going to, they're going to steal it. Like they're just, they're just going to take your food and like, they just kind of like grin at you. They just like show you a fang like, Hey man, you you don't want this trouble. Just give me your cookies and that you've got to, you, you'll get robbed. But I've been robbed. I've never been like mugged when traveling. I'm going to knock on wood, but I have been mugged by two monkeys and I was just, it's so frustrating because it's like, hey man, I'm way more evolved than you. And then it's like, yeah, I got big teeth and I'll rip your face off if you don't give me your cookies. Yeah. Anyway, last thing I want to get right into is the best city to visit travel tournament. So here we are toward the end of this podcast. I hope this has made some sense. I've realized so I went to get a haircut earlier Um uh, and I was kind of falling asleep on the chair. And I was like, I, I don't know if I've ever been that tired. But I mean, I have, it's just been so much crazy travel. Uh, and, you know, yesterday the internet wasn't working yet. And it was just like tons of work and tons of stuff to do. So it's hitting me a little bit hard. But I really wanted to keep to the podcast schedule. So hopefully this makes some sense. And you're still listening. So let me get into the best city to visit travel tournament. This is, for those of you who don't know, this is an annual tournament that I run on my site. So it's basically a round robin. So you got a 64 cities, 32, 16, and so on. So every year about this time of the year, I open it up to you, to readers. Uh, you've just got to be the first person Basically, it's first come, first serve. You tell me what you think the best city to visit that year is. So you tell me your best city. And long story short, every week, people will begin to vote on each of those city matchups. And I base the cities, it's um, changed over the years, but I base them on regions or so location. So let's say you've got Istanbul and, you know, Sofia, Bulgaria, because those two cities are close, unless there's a closer city to one of those, those would compete as you know, which is the best city. And there are these different rounds. So there's a round of 64, 32, 16, 8, 4, 2, and then finally the winner. And that happens essentially every week throughout the week of March. So it's basically a March madness for the best city to visit. Um, and every year, and this is going out to you as well, if you haven't signed up to my newsletter, newsletter subscribers get the first pick every year. And the winner of the contest last year gets the absolute first pick. So I don't know if they're going to pick London again. So London was the winner last year. I always go to the winning city sometime during that year. And of course, if you pick that city, you win a prize. Last year was a cash prize. Um, I like doing the cash prizes 
because I like giving you guys money. Uh, and it's really, 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 really difficult. It's gotten more difficult over the last few years of trying to give people airline vouchers. So I would love to give you like a free ticket somewhere, anywhere in the world. Um, but most of the airlines just don't allow that. I don't know why that is, but it's it's really not possible. It's not about buying people points to get flights and so on, but gifting that, especially to, you know, somebody you don't know, somebody who's not like on your mileage account or whatever is really tough. So I've been going to cash. The reason I'm asking, I'm really asking, what do you think? I'm thinking about a couple of things. So this year I'm thinking about maybe adding more prizes to the mix. It's usually just the champion gets all the, you know, the winner takes it all. Um, but if you have some ideas for prizes, maybe for first, second, or third place, I know what the first place prize is going to be. I think you're going to be really happy with it. Um, but if you've got some ideas for other things that you'd like to win, like tech gear, you know, money, whatever you want, you let me know. And uh, I will try to make it so. Next week, next Monday, that newsletter is going to go out. I I have not announced when that newsletter is going out ever in the years past. I haven't released the schedule ahead of time. But hey, you're you're listening to the to the podcast uh, which was last week in the top 200 on Apple Podcasts for tech podcasts. It's kind of a travel tech podcast. So thank you very much for making this one of the top 200 podcasts in tech on Apple Podcasts. So you're getting this heads up Monday, first come, first serve. So that email is going to go out probably. So it's going to be in Europe. It's going to be in the late afternoon the United States is going to be in the uh, morning time, sort of the late morning time. So just keep a heads up for that newsletter. When it goes out, respond to me with your city. I will try to organize those. Uh, I'm going to have uh, somebody else from the Fox Nomad team as well, kind of keeping track and let you know whether or not your city has been picked, if it's not been picked already. Um, and then you will just be entered into the tournament. And all you have to do after that is start voting now it's you know the votes will start probably a week or so after that and once once you let me know that you've picked a city you're going to be i'm going to update you if you want so you'll get these email reminders uh day before the vote and make sure you vote and there's a couple of things that you should know so you can look back at all the past winners of the best city to visit contest uh, that's one thing that's one way to win i since I, I kind of get to see all the Fox Nomad everything, so respond. I see, read every comment that I get on everywhere. I have an idea of a couple places I think that will have a major advantage now. I will not tell you what those are, but it won't be. It's not too difficult for you to figure out what that is um, for best city. So there's a couple places if you just want to win. Um, the location you pick has a lot to do with it. It always ends up that the winning city goes viral and somehow it it takes off. And what I've what I've seen a lot of people do, and I did write a post about this, is there's a couple of things that you can do. So I've talked about this in the past, I've written about this on ways that you can win the best city contest. And this isn't cheating or anything like that, but there's just some stuff that I've learned that I've noticed these trends over the past ten years of doing these contests. And there's some things that I've noticed that the winners always seem to do. And the first one is 
to win the early round. So the early rounds don't require a lot of effort. There's not many people vote in those early rounds. Those are pretty easy to win. But almost every year, somebody in the first 64 will just kind of email me back, you know, uh, when they when they find out that they've lost. And they go, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. And so, well, send, send the reminder. Um, those reminders, this is just kind of a courtesy, really. But so few votes to win those first early rounds, but so easy to lose those early rounds as well. You really need to pick up the momentum. You don't want to sort of blast everybody, you know, in your Facebook newsfeed and on your email list in the early rounds. Those are easy enough to win, I feel like, on your own, uh, you know, with a small dedicated vote number. I, I think as you get further into the tournament, it becomes much more difficult to win. And that's because... A lot of the the cities end up going viral, like I mentioned, and that's because people have been very clever on how they promoted the best city contest. And every year, the winner does something that previous winners haven't done. They, they get creative and they do something. Um, and last year's winner, London, had a really crazy path um, to get to the to win. So, a couple of things I would reach out to the official bodies, like tourism boards are your friend. If you want to promote a city tourism board, that's your, your friend. Um, generally smaller cities do better in these contests. Okay. London won last year, but generally smaller sort of mid tier cities, mid tier, like mid size cities do a lot better because cities like New York, they have already got a ton of tourists. They, they don't, it's, they're not trying to get more tourism. You know they they they're already up there. They're they're the Michael Jordan of I don't know Michael Jordan of tourism. I don't know that that sounds dumb, but you you get what I mean. Smaller cities are going to work a lot harder to win because they get a lot of publicity every year. A lot of people, more than two million people, visited the best city to visit travel tournament last year, and over three hundred thousand people uh, participated in the contest sharing posts and so on. So people, you know, cities want that publicity and you're generally going to get a much more organized and concentrated effort from cities that are smaller and not bigger. But London made it last year. So, you know, that's not a that's not a solid set rule. Um, so let's see. Uh, looking for any other advice that I've written about. I would say this. I'll give you a tip. Let me give you a small little best city to visit tip i i have an idea of a couple places i think would do really well this year and i think you're going to be easily able to figure that out uh it's all out there right in front of you um so you might be motivated to choose or select one of those one of those uh cities that that in parts of the world that might do very well now so that's a little bit about best city let me know if you have any contest prizes um ideas you know just tweet at me at fox nomad if you're still listening at this point thank you very very much for sticking around if you haven't already give me five stars the podcast would be such a huge help on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify stitcher wherever you're listening to this podcast thank you very 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 much i apologize for any or a lot of jet lag and just super trying to get settled type of podcast but uh Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Um, if you've got any ideas for the show, any news, anything like that you want me to cover, any questions, you can also tweet those at me. Thank you very, very much for listening and supporting the podcast. 
and helping to get this podcast into the top 200 on Apple Podcasts is a huge deal. I woke up one morning, I don't remember where I was, uh, somewhere in India. I woke up and I, I got the notification and I was I was just super happy. And uh, it's all because of you. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And I will talk to you in the next episode.